The country of Indonesia. Do they like me in Indonesia? 100% confident Indonesia will prevail. Hello and welcome to the Talking Indonesia podcast. I'm your host Dave McRae from the Centre for Indonesian Law, Islam and Society at the University of Melbourne. Now, Russia's invasion of Ukraine has been front of mind across the globe for the past month, with Indonesia no exception. Indonesia's government has not joined the Western sanctions regime, nor criticised Russia by name in its statements, but did support a UN resolution condemning Russian aggression. There has been the sympathy and even support for the Russian invasion that many Indonesians have expressed that has been most striking. What factors underpin the Indonesian response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine? How are Indonesians obtaining information about the war, and what interest does Indonesia have at stake? What also are the implications for Indonesia-Russia relations, and can we discern anything from Indonesian reactions to the current war as to how Indonesia might react if China were to one day seek to occupy Taiwan? To discuss these issues, I'm joined today by Raditya Dharmaputra, a PhD candidate and junior research fellow at the Schutte Institute at the University of Tartu in Estonia. Riditio, thanks so much for joining us on Talking Indonesia today. Thank you, Dave. It's my pleasure. And it's a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. Now, could I start by asking you, since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the situation in Ukraine has really dominated public discourse in Australia and I think in many Western countries, our Prime Minister... Numerous cabinet ministers have made multiple statements, have issued commentary on how they feel other countries should respond. It's been front page news in in most of our media. What about in Indonesia? Has it been similar there or or how large an issue has Russia's invasion of Ukraine been in Indonesia? I think it is also a large issue in Indonesia. If you look at at least two of the biggest newspapers in Indonesia, Kompas or the Jakarta Post, you can always see during the last two or three weeks, there are a lot of articles from uh, many commentators or many scholars analyzing the situation in Ukraine, giving commentaries about Indonesian positions regarding uh, Russia and Ukraine. And also, uh, if you look at the more sort of social media discourse, then there are a lot of discussion uh, about this, uh, not from the mainstream media, because mainstream media usually just, again, posting from uh, reposting from Western media, but there are a lot of discussions, especially from online media and in, in Twitter, Instagram. Yeah, I think I think it's quite large. Maybe not as large as in Europe or maybe in Australia, but but yeah, it's it's quite a large issue. Okay. And I mean, is it just general discussion of the war or does Indonesia have particular interests at stake with either Russia or Ukraine or the war itself? I mean, you can, you can always look at it in the two different ways. So if you look at, again, mainstream media, uh, more like a newspaper, again, uh, I mentioned Kompas and Jakarta Post, then you can see a detailed or in-depth analysis of Indonesia's positions, a debate surrounding whether Indonesia should support, for example, the UN General Assembly resolutions, or should Indonesia condemn Russia. But it's also, I think, in the social media, it's more like, Again, this this idea that 
Russia is our friend, again, the friend of Islam. Uh, Russia, especially Putin, that we are pro-Putin. And then you can always see a lot of, let's say, Russian words, Ura, being mentioned in the social media as well. So you, you can always see that there are two different spheres, if I can say that. And I mean, maybe starting with that social media affinity, what's the source of this sense, you know, a, a positive feeling towards Putin, I guess, a warmth towards Russia? Because I, I guess, again, if I compare it to Australia, we've had a previous prime minister threaten to shirt front, basically to violently shoulder charge the shirt of Vladimir Putin. So a, a lot of the discussion of him is, is not all that friendly. Yeah, I, I, this is one of the interesting things that I pick up when I try to look at Indonesian positions. A lot of discussion focusing on this idea that this is a US and NATO's fault and that Russia is actually balancing the West or that we are supporting Russia because they are trying to, you know, put the US and the West in its place. So that's one thing that I pick up. So it's this kind of anti-Western or at least anti-US sentiment. There is also this idea that Putin is very popular in Indonesia. I think it has been growing on for more than 10 years, 15 years. I remember back in those, I think 10 years ago, there was this picture of Vladimir Putin shirtless riding a bear. Again, that's a hoax. Uh, it's a fake picture, but it's it has been, you know, very popular in Indonesia. A lot of people support, oh, this is our president. Can, can we have a president like this? Can we have someone uh, that are strong, that, that is strong and brave and assertive? Something like that. I think I think that's that's the main idea behind this. Let's say a more sympathetic towards Russian position. And there is also there is also other reasons, such as the Russian public diplomacy uh, regarding Islam, for example, which has been also growing since the last I would say the last eight years, or maybe even six years after the Syrian war or the Russian invasion to Syria. Okay, and and what has been the content of that? Russian public diplomacy around Islam and why does it resonate in Indonesia? I think the idea is that, you know, before Russia is always considered as this uh, former Soviet, a, a communist country. This is a communist legacy of Russia has been always the main point. When, when I say to people, okay, I'm studying Russian foreign policy, they always say, oh, so that's the, the former Soviet Union, the, the communist country. That's still, uh, I think, still prevalent in Indonesian society. But then, especially after 2015, you know, the, 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 I think there was this quite large demonstration in front of the Russian embassy uh, due to the Russian invasion in Syria or the military attack in Syria. And then after that, I think they're trying to portray themselves as this friend or ally of Islam. So the idea that they have a lot of Muslim populations, the idea that Islam is the second biggest religion in Russia, after the Orthodox Christianity, there are a lot of Muslims in Russia that you can see the picture of Putin and Ramzan Kadyrov, the leader of Chechnya, uh, again, uh, this uh, inside a mosque or people praying. And they put to get those two things together. It kind of portrays Russia as no longer a communist country, but a Muslim-friendly country. I think that's the reason why it has been so successful. It, it is actually quite dilemmatic because you know that there are still those people in the Islamic community that think Russia is still a communist country, that still remember what happened in Chechnya in 2000s when the Russia have this war against the Chechens and also the Syrian invasion again. So there is this debate, I think, 
between those who still think Russia is not an ally of Islam. But there are also a more popular narrative that Russia is now quite friendly with Islam. And then if you put together that discussion with the idea that Russia is against the West, then it, it became more profound. Now you can see that the, the narrative is, okay, Russia is probably a friend now more friendly towards Islam, but they're most definitely anti-Western, so we can support them. Sure, sure. And I mean, we'll get to the anti-West element in just a second. Um, but, you know, I, I'm fascinated when you talk about that public diplomacy and, you know, the background of Chechnya, the, the Russian involvement in Syria, I, I instantly think of China, another country where you'd think communism would be a problem with relations with staunchly anti-communist Indonesia. And of course, you have the persecution of the Uyghur population there, which has sporadically gained attention in, in Indonesia. But China has flown over you know, many Indonesian journalists. It, it's approached the large Islamic organizations like Nadatul Ulama and Muhammadiyah in Indonesia, flown over select figures from them uh, in, I guess, a large-scale attempt to convince Indonesian Muslims that there's nothing to see here in terms of persecution of Muslims in China. Have we seen similar efforts from Russia to bring Indonesian figures, journalists, Islamic figures and journalists out to Russia? I think so. I, I remember, at least in the terms of education, the Russian government is giving a lot of scholarship at the moment to Indonesian citizens. The latest figure, I think it's around 250 scholarship per year, which is quite big compared to the other countries. And then also, you know, when you studied in Russia, you have been exposed to what happened inside Russia. Then you come back to Indonesia and you start to give this picture of Russia that is, uh, again, uh, Muslim-friendly, no longer communist. And I think it works to some extent, not only for scholars, but also for former diplomats. I can see that uh, a lot of former diplomats in Russia, uh, the, the Indonesian ambassador to Russia, for example, giving this idea that Russia is no longer communist. And, and I do agree with that. I mean, the fact that Russia is no longer a communist country is being pushed forward not only by the Russian government, but also, again, by other circles, diplomats and also scholars. I have no knowledge about the Islamic community being invited to Russia, like the one, in, you say, in the case of China. But I would suggest that it might be very possible to do that. Again, this idea that Russia trying to portray itself as a Muslim-friendly country that would resonate so much with the Indonesian Islamic community, I would say. Now, I mean, moving to this point you make around anti-Western sentiment in Indonesia and the fact that Putin is, you know, I think quite rightly seen as staunchly anti-West. You know, you, you've written a piece in the past week for the Indonesia at Melbourne blog where you've outlined some of these dynamics uh, in public opinion in Indonesia. And I guess one of the things that struck me seeing posts about your article on social media is so many Indonesian netizens have posted memes of Western inaction on Palestine compared to Western concern for Ukraine. And so I guess, is it that perceived lack of sympathy of the West in particular to, to the Palestinian cause, the Palestinian statehood that is driving sympathy to, to Russia? Or is, it, or is it a broader phenomenon of anti-West sentiment in Indonesia? I think you rightly mentioned that in all reply to my article in Indonesia at Melbourne, most of the netizen will say that, okay, yeah, but the West keeps silence in the case of Palestine. So we cannot support Ukraine at the moment because, again, this Western hypocrisy. 
I would say yes. So there are this uh, focus now because of the similarity in situation with the plight in, in again, the Palestinian people. But you can also put the situation in Rohingya, in Myanmar. Again, in that case, I think the West is stronger. You know, the sanction against the Myanmar regime, what happened in Rohingya. Uh, so so if, if you put that together, I think the anti-Western perspective must be combined with other factors. And that is when the idea of religion and the common you know, struggle that maybe the Indonesian has more sympathy towards Palestinian. Then you put that, those together. So it might not be a pure anti-Western, but anti-Western in the sense that you said that it is situated in this kind of Palestinian case. Uh, if you notice, no one brings the, the case in Myanmar, at least not that I know of. Mostly will people will say, uh, put the example of Palestine. But you can also put the, the example of, of Rohingya, and then you can have a different narrative because the West is actually very supportive of the of the plight of the Rohingya. So, so you cannot have that. You cannot have both <laughs> uh, when you are trying to criticize the West. So that is very interesting. No, it is an interesting dynamic. And I mean, when you talk about that interplay of Islam with the Palestinian issue in particular, have we seen the major Islamic organizations in Indonesia? say, Naratul Ulama, Muhammadiyah, and others take a clear stance on Russia's invasion of Ukraine? I received this message, or at least some of my friends from Muhammadiyah sent me this uh, several points that Muhammadiyah made, but it's mostly not asking Russia to stop the invasion, but most about mostly about, well, stop the war, again, advocating for peace so that Indonesian government should do more to advocate peace but not really criticizing the Russian government. Also, Naratul Ulam, I think, when the Ukrainian ambassador to Indonesia visited the leader of uh, Naratul Ulam, Gus Yahya, I think he, uh, Gus Yahya or Pak Yahya said that he asked Russia to stop, to stop the war, stop the invasion. But I think either the same day or maybe the next day, the, the Russian ambassador to Indonesia also visited the Naratul Ulama leaders. And uh, the statements are quite different. So you can see that, okay, we can understand that there are both sides of the conflict, that now we are advocating for peace, uh, that both sides have to work together. So I think, you know, they are also in a very difficult situation. A lot of Muslims, both in Russia and in uh, Ukraine, also Indonesian citizens in Ukraine and in Russia. So they are, I don't know, trying to to play also play the safe and just advocating a normative positions of stopping the war, advocating for humanitarian missions to help the victims, but not really putting a stronger condemnations of Russia. I mean, it's fascinating to hear that both Ukraine and Russia are being quite active diplomatically in Indonesia at present. Yes, uh, you can see the, the even the Ukrainian ambassador to Indonesia. Now he wears this uh, very Islamic clothes when he tried to address the public or tried to address the media. Again, trying to gain sympathy from the Islamic community in Indonesia. And maybe it worked to some extent before Russia also do the same. And then they are now quite balanced positions in, in the, the two biggest uh, Islamic organizations. I guess, you know, overall in your article, you've you've highlighted a, a number of constituencies who have made pro-Russia statements. You've spoken about their prominence on social media. 
today. Then you've got these Islamic organizations that you've described as having a kind of normative position of, of calling for an end to war without necessarily criticizing either party. Are there any constituencies in Indonesia who are sharply critical of Russia and, and are perhaps calling for sterner action to do with the war? I don't think there is. <laughs> Again, you can see that there is one article, I think, in Jakarta Post uh, several days ago that are putting forward this notion that Indonesia must also give sanction to Russia, join this Western sanction to Russia. But I think that's a very minor position in Indonesia, even in academic circles. Scholars, diplomats, they're trying to, okay, put a more normative positions. Again, in some cases, even the scholars are blaming the US and NATO for starting this mess in Ukraine. I don't think that there are a large number of like civil society in Indonesia that are supporting Ukraine at the moment, or even maybe not supporting Ukraine, but condemning Russia. There was one, I think, pro-Ukrainian demonstrators, maybe two, the last two weeks, one in the front of a Russian embassy, and the other one, I think, was attended also by the Ukrainian ambassador. But a very small number of people. The voice that they made, is, again, is important, but it's, it's drowned out in this kind of more, again, pro-Russian sentiment. Again, it's probably pro-Russian is quite... A strong word, but a more sympathetic toward Russian. Certainly foreign observers have seen the Indonesian government response to the war in Ukraine as cautious. Voting in favour of UN assembly votes around Russia, but not mentioning Russia by name in their statements on the war in Ukraine, for example. Um, does some of that caution derive from public sentiment towards the war in UK, Ukraine in Indonesia? Or is this just more typical of Indonesia's approach to a distant conflict in general? I think it's more typical to Indonesian typical response. Again, in the case of China and the Philippines, you can see that also Indonesia play a very cautious role. And also, I think in many cases, if there is a great power involved, Indonesia used to take this kind of more neutral or more considerate positions, not supporting one party or the other. I don't think it derives from the public discourse or public perception. Again, because you can see from the very beginning that before the Indonesian public even responds to this war, there is already a very cautious approach by the Indonesian diplomats or Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And even after Indonesia fought for the resolution in the UN, there are also a lot of scholars, academics criticizing the Indonesian positions, saying that it, it violates this idea of free and active foreign policy, it violates Indonesian position of being neutral in any conflict, which I don't think it actually violates anything, but again, that's my own perspective. But yeah, I don't think it's, it derives from the public. It might derive from the fact that Russia also has a significant investment in Indonesia or that Indonesia and Russia's relations are quite good at the moment, even though we decided, or the Indonesian government decided not to buy the Russian military equipment, the, the, the latest one, but by, from France, I would say, I would, if, if I remember correctly. But yeah, so it, it, it is, I think, uh, derived from its own calculations, not from the public discourse. No, I, I was going to ask you there, when you mentioned relations with 
the major powers. I mean, I would nominate the US as Indonesia's most important security partner, even if the relationship is somewhat distant. Obviously, China is a, is a massively important economic partner. I mean, how important is Russia to Indonesia as an international partner? No, again, this is not in the same level with China and the US, that's for sure. It's not even the same, you know, if you compare Russian investment in Indonesia, it's not as significant as China. But I think the idea that it is important to have a, a good relations with big power is is there in the mind of the Indonesian foreign policy decision makers. So instead of condemning Russia, uh, they did say that this action is not, I, I, I don't know the, the exact word that the Indonesian government used for that, but it's not really, it's not really that weak. You know, it's, it's not really just saying that, okay, this is something, uh, again, uh, with reference to the Islamic community, to Nadatul Ulama and Muhammadiyah, it's not only about creating peace, but it's it's about the the aggression to uh, a territorial integrity of one country. I, I think that's one way to put it. But yeah, it's, it's not really that important compared to China and the US, but having Russian investment and good diplomatic relations with Russia, I think it's it's... It's one, if not the big priority, still one of the important targets for Indonesian foreign policy at the moment. No, and I mean, certainly when you put it in those terms, I immediately think of China's fishing, often accompanied by Coast Guard vessels in the area near the Natuna Islands that Indonesia claims as its exclusive economic zone. And even when you've had confrontations at sea with Indonesian vessels seeking to seize those fishing boats, sometimes confronted, by the Chinese Coast Guard, you've had you know very senior officials from memory, Jokowi himself, saying, we're not taking a backward step in the Natunas, but we're staying friends with China. But I guess when, when that has happened, uh, we, we've also clearly seen contradictory statements coming out of different parts of the Indonesian government. You know, Susi Pujastuti, who was the fisheries minister at the, at the time, calling for sterner action, sometimes conflicting statements from military commanders about the way Indonesia should approach the South China Sea. Have we seen any of that sort of division on sort of Russia's invasion of Ukraine among different parts of the Indonesian government? I haven't seen anything, especially if you put it like that. So it's like the the the, the current government, the current officials, for example. I think they're mostly in one voice. Although if you can put uh, Jokowi's tweet during the beginning of the war, just saying that no war or and then peace is important and then you compare it with the actual uh, statement by the ministry of foreign affairs it's quite different because the ministry of foreign affairs actually put a stronger condemnation even though again not mentioning russia so if you can put that as a different perspective different perspective or different opinion might be but if you ask for example the former diplomats i think several of them are gone publicly advocating for a more neutral position. But I remember one former Indonesian ambassador to Ukraine, Dr. Yudi Krishnandi. I think I think he put a stronger position, maybe because he was, again, former ambassador to Ukraine. So he's more sympathetic towards Ukraine position. And I think in his article in Compass, he asked the Indonesian government should put a stronger uh, condemnation of Russia. But I don't think that there is any official that publicly uh, criticized the Indonesian government position in this case. 
again, probably because it's too far. Again, with China, you have a, you know, the clash in Natuna. So they have to put a stronger position or, and then you have a different uh, actor, probably have different interests. Again, in this case, because it's not in our backyard, then it is easy, I would say, to put a more normative position, a joint normative position so that everyone can agree. But I, I would say that if you ask the diplomats in the region, the Indonesian diplomats in the region, in several countries in Eastern Europe, they have a, 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 it may be a different position. And they are, you know, they, they have planned to evacuate, for example, Indonesian citizen if anything happens. So I, that's not really a different position, but just because they know what happens in the ground. So maybe they have a, a better perspective responding to the situation. No, I mean, that's all really interesting. Now, um, certainly one strand of commentary in the first days of the invasion of Ukraine, or perhaps even when the invasion seemed to be looming, was this question of China and Taiwan. And of course, the, the idea that China would be closely watching the war in Ukraine to see how other countries respond for its own territorial ambitions to perhaps take control militarily of Taiwan at some point in the future. Could we perhaps tangentially gain any sense of how Indonesia might respond to a hypothetical future attempt by China to control Taiwan from the from the way that Indonesia has responded to the war in Ukraine? That is very interesting. And I think I did discuss it with some friends, especially here in Estonia, uh, that it might happen if China invades Taiwan, for example, and will Indonesia be in a similar position and just advocating for peace without condemning China? And I think that's the reason why this conflict, this Indonesian positions and the public perceptions towards the Russia-Ukrainian war is very important because it actually put forward the notion that Indonesia might be willing or may, might be supportive if a big country do something to its smaller countries. And if it happened in Taiwan, I would say, if, if it indeed happened, it might be similar to the situation. Uh, again, Indonesia has a strong relations with, with Taiwan, education, uh, economic terms. But if you put China into the factor, and also if Taiwan, Taiwan would be supported by the US, so you put the same uh, construct again, so this anti-Western power against the US, then you have, I would think that you have the same position like Russia and NATO and the EU. So it would be very frightening position again, because maybe Indonesia would say, okay, we condemn what China did probably, or this kind of uh, invasion of territorial, uh, Taiwan territorial integrity. But again, this Taiwan is even in, is in even worse condition. It's, it's, Ukraine is a sovereign state. Taiwan is, you have a different situation. It's not really acknowledged by many countries. This one China policy. So I don't think Indonesia will support Taiwan in that case. It will be even uh, even worse because of the different situation that I've mentioned before. Now, uh, I mean, as we're seeing, you know, uh, certainly we've seen discussion of Putin himself had perhaps hoped for a, a swift capitulation um, of Ukrainian forces in the in the face of Russia's invasion. What we seem to be seeing is instead a protracted war, where you know fears are expressed that bombardment of civilian areas could increase. Can you see anything happening in the war dynamics in Ukraine that might shift uh, the position of either the Indonesian public or the Indonesian government on the war there? 
I don't know. I think unless Putin did something extraordinary, for example, I don't know, a bombardment, like indiscriminate bombardment towards Kiev, for example. At the moment, it's not happening. But if it happened, it might change some voices in Indonesia. But again, this this idea that you cannot trust uh, the Western media, so it must be a, a because it must be a propaganda from the West uh, in supporting Ukraine. Uh, it's still, you know, being discussed. So they're not going to. I don't think that they were. They're going to believe whatever reports came from the Western media at the moment. I remember uh, being asked by several media in Indonesia, but it's part of the Western media's uh, network because their news or their post in Instagram or in Twitter has been bombarded, bombed by this uh, pro-Russian comments. And because they don't believe it, they don't believe if it came from the media that they perceive as being Western. And we don't have the other media. I mean, Indonesian media doesn't go to Ukraine and give or send their own uh, journalists to investigate what happened in Ukraine uh, is too far and it's not really in their interest probably. So I don't think it will be easily changed. Maybe some uh, on the academic circles in foreign policy makers, if the worst came or let's see if Kiev falls and then or, or if the Ukrainian president Vladimir Zelensky, uh, you know, killed, for example, then it might change something. Maybe, again, in the very specific circle in, in the academics or in foreign policymakers. But I don't think the public will will go for that. Sure, sure. And I, I mean, on whether a change in the war situation would change attitudes in Indonesia, I mean, it was fascinating the point you made there that, that the Western media is distrusted. Indonesian media do not have their own correspondence over there. What is the primary source of information on the conflict for I guess, the Indonesian media and by extension, the, the Indonesian public? I think, I mean, you know that the Indonesian media usually, again, because it's come from mostly from the Western media networks, I think there will there, there are some report, uh, report that, again, uh, came from, from Ukraine, from the independent journalists there. But, of course, they're working closely with the Western media. So that is one thing, again, that's not being trusted by many people. Then you will think that they will try to look at it from maybe the Russian media. But there is no presence of Russian media in Indonesia. Not RT, not Sputnik, maybe Russia beyond the headlines and the Instagram or the Twitter account of the embassy, the Russian embassy in Jakarta, which is being quoted barely, you know, quoted and being spread you know, widely by the Indonesian public. I, I remember receiving this uh, tweet by the Russian embassy quoting RT, uh, saying that there is a fake news or a fake video of something that happened in Ukraine. And it is it is being believed <laughs> by the Indonesian public. Again, that, that's... No, let, let me just put it this way. I think that is a disheartening because you see that, okay, you cannot, if you don't believe the Western media, then you have to dig deeper, right? But what happened is that they, they believe, again, the, the embassy statement, uh, the uh, news or the post by the Russia BND headlines. You know that they are a party of the war. So if you don't believe what 
the Western media said, then you you are not supposed to believe what the Russian media said as well, because both of them are doing the same kind of propaganda. But I don't think that the Indonesian public are trying to dig deeper. They're just believing that. And it, it made worse by, I would say, by the the experts that are just say looking at one views, looking at the NATO's expansion, uh, the U.S. fault in pushing towards uh, Russian sphere of influence, then you, you if you come again, if you combine them together, then you have a distrust towards the Western media and or to the Indonesian media in general that are being seen as pro-Western, especially the mainstream media. They believe a more, let's say, the non-mainstream media that are posting this weird news about you know the these missiles or this bullets being placed by uh, the oil pig oil or pig fat something like that that is being believed so that's the, the current situation i would say i mean all of that is, is is fascinating in another podcast we might spend the entire episode talking just about those dynamics but i mean finally for today could i ask you i mean are we likely to see any fundamental impact in the long term on on Indonesia Russia relations out of this invasion of Ukraine I don't think so if you look back and uh, at 2014 when Russia annexed Crimea and then started this conflict in eastern Ukraine uh, even then the Indonesian government put a stronger voice and stronger position condemning Russia and then did not acknowledge Crimea as part of Russia and if I remember correctly, the Russian ambassador to Indonesia, when she was being asked uh, in a webinar just before the current invasion, being asked what is her comment on Indonesian positions on uh, Crimea. And she said, oh, that's Indonesian foreign policy. We are not going to criticize Indonesian positions on that. And we understand why Indonesia did that. And it's, I know it might be seen as a, a, you know, a polite diplomatic response by the ambassador, but I would say that it is part of this larger trend that they don't really uh, care that much as long as, again, it's not really impacting Indonesia's, Russia's relations. Uh, the investment are still coming. Indonesian's citizens are still coming to Russia. They are still allowed to invest in Indonesia and to use this public diplomacy to improve the image of Russia. So I don't think that will have any impact unless, of course, Indonesia agreed to support the Western sanction. That might change the Indonesia-Russia relations, but I don't think that Indonesia will ever do that. I don't think that that it could happen. Although maybe some people advocating, or one or two people in the media advocating uh, a stronger position and again uh, supporting the sanction, I don't think it will happen. And since it might not happen, then Indonesia-Russia relationship in the future might be okay and fine and it might even grow after this. Sure, sure. Now, Riditio, it's been fascinating to speak to you today and there's certainly a lot more I could ask you, but I'm afraid we're well and truly out of time. Thanks so much for taking the time to share your insights with talking into Indonesia today. It's been great. Thank you so much, Dave. Uh, my been my pleasure to talk with you. That was Riditio Dhammaputra, a PhD candidate and junior research fellow at the Schutte Institute at the University of Tartu in Estonia. Riditio is also a lecturer at the Department of International Relations at Universitas Eilanga. 
Talking Indonesia returns on 31 March with my co-host Tito Ambio. Until then, as always, you can access the entire archive of Talking Indonesia episodes for free at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, this has been the Talking Indonesia podcast. Bye for now. Thank you.